Book One, Chapter Four of the New Republic by William Hurl Mallock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by phone. It was a calm, lovely evening. The moon was rising over the sea, and the sea was slowly silvering under it. A soft breeze breathed gently, full of the scents of flowers, and in the low sky of the west there yet lingered a tender peach colour. The ladies were sitting about on chairs, grouped together, but with several little groups within the group, and amongst them all was Dr. Jenkinson, making himself particularly agreeable to Mrs. Sinclair. When the gentlemen emerged there was a general stir, and Lady Ambrose, shutting up a volume of St. Simon's Memoirs, said, Well, Mr. Lawrence, we have been talking most industriously about the future lawrence was standing with mr luke on the step of the dining-room window and both were looking out gravely on the tranquil scene do you remember said lawrence that it was here three years ago that you composed the lines that stand last in your published volumes i remember said mr luke dreamily what an evening that was i wish you would repeat them said lawrence what is the good said mr luke why rouse again the voices that haunt about the mouldered lodges of the past mr luke said lady ambrose appealingly i do so wish you would is mr luke going to recite poetry said mrs sinclair coming languidly up to them how delicious she was looking lovely in the dim light with a diamond star shining in her dark hair and for a mortal bard there was positively no resisting her appeal mr luke with a silent composure pressed his hands for a moment against his forehead he gave one hum and then in a clear melodious voice began as follows softly the evening descends violet and soft the sea adds to the silence below pleasant and cool on the beach breaking yes and the breeze calm as the twilight itself furtively sighs through the dusk listlessly lifting my hair fanning my thought-wearied brow thus i stand in the gloom watching the moon-track begin quivering to die like a dream over the far sea-line to the unknown region beyond so for ages hath man gazed on the ocean of time from the shores of his birth and turning his eyes from the keys the thronged marts the noise and the din to the far horizon hath dreamed of the timeless country beyond vainly for how should he pass being on foot o'er the wet ways of the unplumbed waves how without ship should he pass over the shipless sea to the timeless country beyond ah but once once long ago came there a ship white sailed from the country beyond with bright oarsmen and men that sang came to humanity's coasts called to the men on the shore joyously touched at the port then did time-weary man climb the bulwarks the deck eagerly crowding anon with jubilant voices raised and singing when israel came out of egypt 
and whatso else in the psalm is written they passed out of the ken of the land over the far sea-line to the unknown region beyond where are they now then they that were borne out of sight by the ship are brothers of times gone by why have they left us here solemn dejected alone gathered in groups on the shore why for we too have gazed o'er the waste of waters and watched for a sail as keenly as they ah wretched men that we are on our haggard faces and brows aching a wild breeze fawns full of the sense of the sea redolent of regions beyond why then tarries the ship when will her white sail rise like a star on the sea-line when when and the answer comes from the sailless face of the sea ah vain watchers what boots the calm of the evening have ye not watched through the day turbulent waves the expanse endless shaken with storm and ask ye where is the ship deeper than plummet can dive she is bedded deep in the ooze and over her tall mast floats the purple plain of the calm yes and never a ship since this is sunken will come ever again o'er the waves nay not even the craft with the fierce steersman him of the marsh livid with wheels of flame circling his eyes to smite the lingering soul with his oar not that even but we drop where we stand one by one on the shingles and sands of time and cover in taciturn gloom with only perhaps some tear each for his brother the hushed heart and the limitless dreams with a little gift of sand thank you mr luke so much said lady ambrose how charming i am always so fond of poems about the sea ah said mr luke turning to mrs sinclair these are emotions scarcely worth describing certainly not muttered mr storks half aloud as he moved off to discover lady grace mr luke stood apart and surveyed the party with a look of pensive pity on mr storks however whose last remark he had overheard his eyes rested with an expression somewhat more contemptuous the brightening moonlight fell softly on the group before him giving it a particularly picturesque effect as it touched the many colours and folds of the ladies dresses and struck here and there a furtive flash from a gem on wrist or throat the tranquil hour seemed to have a tranquillizing effect on nearly every one and the conversation reached mr luke's ears as a low murmur broken only by the deep sound of mr stork's voice and the occasional high notes of mr saunders who seemed to mr luke in his present frame of mind to be like a shrill cock crowing to the world before the sunrise of universal philistinism lawrence meanwhile had caught miss merton's eye looking at him with a grave regard and this had brought him instantly to her side when mr luke had ended his recital we didn't spare the times we live in to-night did we he said slowly to her in a low voice well well 
i wonder what it is all coming to we and our times together we are certainly a curious medley here all of us i suppose no age but ours could have produced one like it at least let us hope so for the credit of the ages in general i must say said miss merton smiling that you seem to take to the age very kindly and to be very happy amongst your friends but you did not tell us very much of what you thought yourself i don't often say what i think said lawrence because i don't often know what i think but i know a great many things that i don't think and i confess i take a pleasure in saying these and in hearing others say them so the society that i choose as a rule represents not the things i think i approve but the things i am sure i repudiate i confess said miss merton i don't quite understand that shall i tell you said lawrence why i live so much in society amongst my friends as you call them simply because i feel in my life as a child does in a dark room and i must have someone to talk to or else i think i should go mad what one says is little matter so long as one makes a noise of some sort and forgets the ghosts that in one's heart one is shuddering at miss merton was silent for a moment and looked up into the sky in which the stars were now one by one appearing i suppose she said presently you think it is a very poor affair life's whole business and yet i don't see why you should not see why i should repeated lawrence ah that shows how little you from your position can sympathize with ours i am not surprised at it of course it is out of the question that you should you happy in some sustaining faith can see a meaning in all life and all life's affections you can endure you can even welcome its sorrows the clouds of ennui themselves for you have silver linings for your religion is a kind of philosopher's stone turning whatever it touches into something precious but we we can only remember that for us too things had a meaning once but they have it no longer life stares at us now all blank and expressionless like the eyes of a lost friend who is not dead but who has turned an idiot perhaps you never read close poems did you scarcely a day passes in which i do not echo to myself his words ah well a day for we are souls bereaved of all the creatures under heaven's wide cope we are most hopeless who at once most hope and most beliefless who had once believed and do you think said miss merton in a low tone that belief in these days brings no painful perplexities too do you think that we can look out on the state of the world now and think about its future without anxiety but really she went on raising her voice if i like you thought that christianity was not true i should not waste my time in lamenting over it i should rather be glad that i had got free from a gigantic and awful imposition what exclaimed lawrence should we rejoice at our old guide dropping dead amongst the mountains 
even though he had lost his way if so we are left hopeless and without any guide at all you have your consciences said miss merton with some decision in her voice you surely don't mean to say that you have lost them as for our consciences said leslie who was standing close by we revere them so much that we fancy they possess some power but conscience in most souls is like an english sovereign it reigns but it does not govern its function is merely to give a formal assent to the bills passed by the passions and it knows if it opposes what those are really bent upon that ten to one it will be obliged to abdicate let us hope that the constitutions of most souls are more stable than that said miss merton as far as morality goes i expect you have quite enough to guide you and if you think religion false i don't see why its loss should trouble you and life itself remember has plenty of pleasures it is full of things worth living for is it exclaimed leslie with sudden emphasis and he looked into miss merton's face with an expression half absent and half wondering is there anything in life that you really think is for its own sake worth living for to me it seems that we are haunted with the power of imagining that there might be and are pursued with the knowledge that there never is look at that lovely water before us with its floods of moonlight how it ripples how it sparkles away into the distance what happiness sights like these suggest to one how happy they might make us might but they never do they only madden us with a vague pain that is like the sense of something lost forever still said miss merton life is not all moonlight surely friendship and affection are worth having let me beg you miss merton said leslie replying to her tone rather than to her words not to think that i am always pining and bemoaning myself fortunately the deeper part of one's nature will often go to sleep and then the surface can enjoy itself we can even laugh with our lips at the very thing that our hearts in silence are breaking for but as for happiness that is always like prophecy it is only fulfilled in the future or else it is a miracle it only exists in the past the actual things we wish for we may very likely get but they always come too late or too soon when the boy is in love he tries to feel like a man when a man is in love he tries to feel like a boy and both in vain ah exclaimed lawrence i think very differently from that i know he said turning to miss merton that friendship and affection are things worth having and if only pain and anxiety would leave me i could enjoy the taste of happiness could you said leslie when i look at what we are and what the world is i can fancy no more melancholy spectacle than a happy man though i admit he added as he moved slowly away that there is none more amusing than a man who tries to be melancholy leslie is oddly changed said lawrence since i saw him last i am distressed with life because i cannot find out its worth 
he is indignant at it it seems because he thinks he has found out its worthlessness and yet i envy him his temperament he never lets any melancholy subdue him he can always laugh it down in a moment and he will trample bravely on any of his sentiments if he is on the road to anything he is proud of aiming at lawrence was silent for a moment and then said abruptly i dare say you think me very morbid but perhaps you can hardly realize the intense restless misery that a man endures when he can find nothing to do which he really feels worth doing could i only find some one thing one great cause to labor for one great idea i could devote my whole self to it and be happy for labor after all is the only thing that never palls on a man but such a cause such an idea i can find it nowhere politics have turned into a petty weary game religion is dead our new prophets only offer us humanity in place of the god of which they have deprived us and humanity makes a very poor deity since it is every day disgracing itself and is never of the same mind from one week's end to another and so here i am utterly alone friendless and with nothing to help me feeling that were it not for the petty contemptible interests i manufacture for myself from day to day life would be quite unbearable and yet said miss merton you have much to make you happy much that you would be sorry to lose i have a certain position said lawrence and a certain amount of wealth and i would not willingly lose anything of either of these but that is not because in my heart i value them but because if i lost them i might in my heart cease to despise them surely said miss merton there is a better way of looking at the matter you came into the world with all your lower ambitions satisfied for you the ground therefore is quite clear for the higher ambitions that is why i think an aristocracy as a rule must always be the best governors of men for their ambitions as a rule are the only genuine ones think too what an advantage mere wealth is the highest labour will never produce money but generally requires it that is just the difficulty said lawrence what shall i labour for i am almost maddened sometimes as i sit all the day idle and seem to hear the hateful wasted moments slipping away from me and i could do something i am sure i feel i have powers i think said miss merton that all i should say to you is find something to do the power to find or make an object is i think a great part of genius however she said with some sympathy in her voice if you are in difficulties i am sure i wish i could help you well said lawrence in a subdued voice i'm sure i beg your pardon for my egoism i never talked so long about myself in my whole life before and i promise never to do so again leslie meanwhile had moved away towards mrs st clair who looking particularly fascinating 
was still commanding the attentions of dr jenkinson the doctor was standing by her all deferent gallantry and to leslie's surprise was saying something to her about sappho and now said mrs sinclair with a little appealing dainty smile i want to ask you something about the greek anthology too i can't read much greek myself but a gentleman who used to be rather kind to me translated me a good deal of greek poetry once upon a time when my husband she said with a little shrug of the shoulders used to go to sleep after his dinner dr jenkinson here glanced suspiciously at mrs sinclair now what i want you to tell me she said is something about some little ahem, little love songs i think they were erotic something or other i really can't pronounce the name the doctor started and dr jenkinson please mrs sinclair went on in a voice of plaintive innocence not to think me a terrible blue stocking because i ask you these questions for i really hardly know any greek myself except perhaps a verse or two of the new testament and that's not very good greek i believe is it but the gentleman who translated so much to me when he came to these little poems i speak of was continually though he was a very good scholar quite unable to translate them now why should that have been i want to know are greek love poems very hard well said the doctor stammering yet reassured by mrs sinclair's manner they were probably your friend perhaps well they were a little obscure perhaps much greek is or corrupt suggested mrs sinclair naively the word was a simple one but it sufficed to work a miracle on dr jenkinson for the first time in his life to a lady who united the two charms of beauty and fashion to both of which he was eminently susceptible dr jenkinson was rude he turned abruptly away and staring hard at the moon not at mrs sinclair said simply i don't know with the most chilling intonation of which those words are capable he then moved a pace away and sat down on a chair close to miss merton mrs sinclair turned to leslie with a flash in her eyes of soft suppressed laughter how lovely the evening is murmured leslie responding to the smile yes said mrs sinclair looking out dreamily over the sea it almost realizes one's idea of perfect beauty really mrs sinclair said leslie you are certainly most hellenic first you talk of sappho now of ideas of beauty are you a platonist mr leslie of course i am said mrs sinclair somewhat misapprehending his meaning i never heard such an impertinent question platonism however is a very rare philosophy in these days i am afraid ah and so you too think we are all of us very bad do you said leslie it may be so of course and yet men at least often generalize very hastily and very wrongly i am sure how often for instance do we say that all wives nowadays are inconstant simply because such are the only ones we remember 
not because they are the only ones we know this speech was quite in mrs sinclair's own manner and she looked at leslie with a smile of appreciation half humorous and half sentimental ah she began to say in a voice that had just a touch of sadness in it if we could but all of us love only when we ought and where we ought but here she paused her voice died away and she leaned her head upon her hand in silence leslie was going to have spoken but he was suddenly arrested by the sound of dr jenkinson close beside him talking to miss merton in a tone of unusual earnestness i don't wonder he was saying that you should feel in perplexity sometimes whichever way we look at things there will be perplexities but there is such a thing as goodness and goodness in the end must triumph and so in this large faith let us rest and said donald gordon in his soft deferential voice which always sounded as if he was saying something deeply devotional don't you think it is a higher thing to be good for good's own sake than for god's and whatever men may believe about having another life and a beautiful heaven with gold streets and with jewelled fortifications don't you think that morality really is after all its own reward but what of those poor people said miss merton who cannot be moral whom circumstances have kept from being ever anything but brutalized i dare say she said turning to the doctor quite forgetting his sacred character that i shall hardly be able to make you understand such a notion as that of living for god's glory but still if there be not a god for whose glory we can live and who in his turn will not leave us all to ourselves what then think of all those who in spite of hard surroundings have just had strength enough to struggle to be good but to struggle only whose whole mortal being has been left writhing in the road of life like an animal that a cartwheel has gone over just lifting its eyes up with a piteous appeal at us who will not help it miss merton looked at dr jenkinson and paused the moon shone tenderly on his silver hair and his keen eyes had something very like moisture in them yes he said these are great great difficulties but there is another life in store for us another life and a god and don't think that the world is growing to disbelieve in these remember how many intelligent laymen count themselves members of the church of england simply because they believe in these two doctrines it has always been inexplicable to me said mr storks who had been attracted by the sound of the doctor's voice whence this longing for a future life could have arisen i suppose there are a few things the very possibility of which science so conclusively disproves and yet said lawrence who had been speaking for a moment to mrs st clair i can't help thinking at certain times that there may be a whole world of things undreamed of by our scientific philosophy such a feeling is touched by the sight of an aura pro anima mea or a resurgum on a quiet tombstone 
or the sign of the cross made by a mother in hope and in sorrow on the forehead of her dead child miss merton looked at lawrence with some wonder in her large expressive eyes mr storks snorted and dr jenkinson blinked see said donald gordon the moonlight grows brighter and brighter every moment it is almost bewildering in its dazzling paleness and there said lawrence do you catch it that is the lightship on the horizon like a large low star lawrence seated himself on the balustrade and leaning on his elbow looked up into the clear hollow skies world upon world he exclaimed at last and each one crowded very likely with beings like ourselves wondering what this whole great universe is and the vast majority of them believing in a wise and just god said leslie for i see no reason why ours should be the stupidest world in all creation yes said lawrence and in each world a small select band that has pierced through such a husk of lies and has discovered the all-golden truth that the universe is aimless and that for good and evil the end is all one dr jenkinson had a sensible horror of the stars and as soon as they were mentioned he turned round in his chair giving his back to the group miss merton included while mr storks walked away not without dignity mrs sinclair is going to sing in a moment said lawrence someone is gone to fetch her guitar hush exclaimed miss merton do just listen to this good gracious said lawrence in a whisper mr storks is at my aunt at last mr storks had been watching ever since dinner for an opportunity of discussing with lady grace the true position of woman as settled by modern science he was peculiarly full of this subject just now having received only that morning a letter from a celebrated american physician who stated very strongly as his opinion that the strain of what is called the higher education was most prejudicial to the functions of maternity and that the rights of woman might very probably be fatal to the existence of man as soon as he got hold of lady grace he led up to this point with startling rapidity having been perfectly charmed at starting to find that she fully agreed with him that the prejudices of the present day were doing more harm to woman's true interests than anything else it is a pleasure said mr storks to discuss these matters with a person so thoroughly enlightened as yourself you will of course see from what dr boston says how entirely suicidal is the scheme of turning woman into a female man nature has marked out her mission for her plainly enough and so our old friend milton was right in his meaning after all when he says that man is made for god and woman for god through him though of course the expression is antiquated surely said lady grace with animation not only the expression is antiquated but the meaning also is contrary to all true fairness and enlightenment i confess i don't see that said mr storks with a look of smiling deference what cried lady grace 
is it not contrary to reason let me put it to your own candour for a man who knows that his wife ages hence will be a seraph singing before the throne of god to consider her only made for god through him to consider her indeed as a thing made simply for her husband's use this answer of lady grace's took mr storks quite aback he knew not how to comport himself his jaw fell he stared he said nothing he felt as though he had been assassinated but luckily at this very moment liquid and clear and exquisitely modulated were heard the sounds of mrs sinclair's voice singing the following song darling can you endure the liquid weather the jasmine-scented twilights oh my dear or do you still remember how together we read the sad sweet idyll guinevere love in one last year's twilight galeotto fu il libro e chi lo scrisse ah the flowers smelt sweet and all unheeding did i read to you that tender tale o oh, my love until my voice in reading how those lovers greeted passion pale trembled in the soft twilight galeotto fu il libro e chi lo scrisse then our eyes met and then all was over all the world receded cold and far and your lips were on my lips my lover and above us shook a silver star through depths of melting twilight galeotto fu il libro e chi lo scrisse darling no july will ever find us on this earth together more our fates were but a moment cheated then behind us shrilled his voice for whom kaina waits shattering our one sweet twilight galeotto fu il libro e chi lo scrisse i shall know no more of summer weather naught will be for me of glad or fair till i join my darling and together we go for ever on the accursed air there in the dawnless twilight galeotto fu il libro e chi lo scrisse what a lovely voice said lawrence to miss merton i wonder how she will sound singing before the throne she will be obliged to take lessons in a rather different style said miss merton unable to suppress a smile and then she suddenly checked herself and looked grave mrs sinclair has always interested me she said i often come across her in london but i hardly know her mr lawrence said mrs sinclair you must now make mr leslie sing for i discover that he can play the guitar too leslie was of course pressed and with some reluctance consented i suppose he said we are all of us more or less moonstruck to-night so i had best sing the silliest thing i know and as i don't think anything can be sillier than a song i once wrote myself i will sing that he touched a few chords carelessly and yet with the manner of a practised player paused for a moment and then again striking the instrument began to sing he was watched at first with merely a languid curiosity and miss prattle whispered to lady ambrose that his attitude was very affected 
but curiosity and criticism were both lost in surprise at the first sound of his rich and flexible voice and still more so at the real passion which he breathed into the following words rude and artless as they were oh her cheek her cheek was pale her voice was hardly musical but your proud grey eyes grew tender child when mine they met with a piteous self-surrender margaret child what have i done to thee child what hast thou done to me how you froze me with your tone that last day we met your sad eyes then were as cold as stone margaret oh it all now seems to me a far-off weary mystery yet and yet her last sad frown awes me still and yet in vain i laugh your memory down margaret leslie received loud thanks from many voices especially from lady ambrose some however were almost silent from surprise at the feeling which he seemed quite unconsciously to have betrayed mrs sinclair held out her hand to him when no one was looking and said quietly thank you so much i can't tell you how i like your song well said lawrence as the party moved indoors into the lighted drawing-room we have been all of us very sentimental to-night and if we can't get better now i hope we shall sleep it off and wake up well and sane to-morrow morning this being saturday night there sprang up some vague mention of church the nearest church however was some miles distant and a rumour arose amongst the guests that dr jenkinson would perform the service and preach a sermon in the private chapel End of book one chapter four